I want us to read scripture together, and I like to really do that standing up. And so each week, uh, post-spring break, we're in this series about the Emmaus Road. Each week we're reading through the text together. And so today I actually want to read together. It's a little long, so um, don't lose heart halfway through. But uh, each time we read, Dave and I were just talking this morning, um, it never gets old. It never gets old. And each time, I think we have an invitation to, to see something new of Jesus in the text. And so that's the invitation today as we read it. Okay? Ready? Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things, he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, how unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. So they said to each other, weren't our hearts ablaze within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven with those who said, the Lord has certainly been raised and has appeared to Simon. And they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Amen. Amen. Now you can sit. <laughs> Wait, before you... No, just kidding. It was good. I, I want us to get a chance to, to greet one another and... Um, 
in some churches they have the passing of the peace, which is a really cool kind of liturgical thing. I didn't grow up with that, um, but I, I love the, the notion of that, that we are passing the peace to, to each other. And, and today we need a lot of peace, right? <laughs> There's a, um, we, just, we need to comfort one another after last night. So uh, we're glad that you're here. Um, this passage is an incredible passage, and it is a post-resurrection passage of Scripture as we lead up to Easter. And I want to really pick up on some themes from last week. And uh, as, as Dave was preaching about process and about journey, I want to keep going with that. Friday night, we gathered in this room, and we had a time of worship, and we sang a song they had the lyrics, in the process, in the waiting, you're making melodies over me. And your presence is a promise, for I'm a pilgrim on the journey. God, shepherd of my soul, take my hand and lead me on. This process, uh, this is a theme and a thread that runs throughout Scripture. And so we see it in the Old Testament in so many ways that the people of Israel themselves run a process and individuals who were called to follow God were themselves on a process. And then you see some stories where process really is the theme of the story. Like there was this guy named Naaman who was a commander of the armies of Aram. And he was an amazing commander, amazing military uh, commander, but he had leprosy, which was a death. Um, it, it was a, uh, you know, no one, no one recovered, right? So he reached out via his servant to Elisha the prophet to try to find some way for healing. And Elisha sent word through the servant uh, to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. And at first... Naaman was, was really kind of uh, annoyed by that. He wanted something big. He wanted, he wanted God to show up in a big way and bring healing. And the servant said, if he had asked you to do something huge, you would have done it in a heartbeat. Why can't you follow him into the process of obedience? So he goes to the Jordan River, and he dips the first time, and nothing happens. Still leprosy. Second time third time, fourth time, fifth time, sixth time, nothing happens. The seventh time he comes out and his skin is completely clear. That process uh, takes different forms in different ways throughout scripture. So you get to the New Testament and to Mark chapter 8, Jesus is in this little town called Bethsaida and there's a blind man who reaches out to get healing from Jesus and Jesus uh, spits on his hand and rubs it on the man's eyes. He says, what do you see? And he says, well, I see people, I think, but they look like trees. They're really blurry. And then Jesus puts his hands on the man's eyes a second time, and then the man could see everything clearly, which is this incredible kind of metaphor for us, I think, that in this this spiritual process that we are in, that we come from a place of blindness to a place of, of blurriness. It's like, I start to see what this is about, but it's still really blurry. And Jesus brings us into this process and into this place of clarity. And sometimes it's back to blurry and then to clarity. It's a journey. It's a process. 
You get to the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is just one big process. The church is established. And so you see the church going through all of these stages of growth and these stages, you know, these, these, these painful stages at times. You see a, a guy named uh, Simon Peter who uh, was confronted by Jesus, the fact that, uh, that uh, Jesus had come for Gentiles and not just for Jews. <laughs> You had John Mark who went through this, this time of failure and then was reinstated and became this really fruitful minister of the gospel. You have Paul, you know, who was persecuting the church and had a blinding uh, experience on the road to Damascus. And Jesus got a hold of his life and just completely transformed it. And so Paul says this in Philippians 3. He says, not that I've attained everything that I need to attain. It's not like I've been perfected, but I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to have attained this. Instead, I am single-minded, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching out to the things that are ahead. With this goal in mind, I strive toward what is ahead. Dallas Willard says that discipleship is a process of establishing the character of Christ in us. That's all it is. You are taking on the character of Christ in a process of discipleship to him under the direction of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. So, this morning, I want to look at this passage in Luke 24 in light of this process, in light of this journey, looking at both how the disciples encountered Jesus, but also how, the, how that Jesus encounters the disciples. And next week, next week, we'll get more into the, the weeds of how Cleopas and his friend were struggling with uh, interpreting information in light of their deep desires and longings and unmet expectations. And then in two weeks, uh, Rick will talk about how that all of Scripture points to Jesus. So there's overlap each week, but today I, I really want to focus on the process of Jesus encountering and taking the disciples through uh, this, this path toward revelation. I want to reread the verses that we're looking at today. And first, I want to look at this from the, the perspective of Cleopas and his friend as they encounter Jesus and then how Jesus encounters them. Um, so today, here's, here's the deal. The seven-mile, I cannot talk today. The seven-mile walk of disillusionment um, I want us to, to really grasp two things. And one is that it's an invitation to embrace the process that Jesus is doing in us. And the secondly, it's an example of how we are to embody and demonstrate the way of Jesus in our conversations and relationships with each other. Okay? That's where we're going. You good? Okay. All right. Here are the verses again. Verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven mi miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. 
So first of all, how do the disciples encounter Jesus? How do people act and react in a time of confusion, in a time of grief or unmet expectation or disappointment or disillusionment or fear and pain? First of all, they were discussing and arguing. They were frustrated. They were afraid. They were, they were passionate, but their passion was unmoored. They were trying to make sense of it logically, argumentatively, perhaps knowingly or unknowingly as an attempt to stay in their heads, to avoid and suppress deep grief and confusion of their hearts, and even lashing out at one another to numb the pain. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to that? Have you gone through something and you are trying to make sense of it, especially those of you that happen to be more logical and, and attached to reason, that there is this event or this situation or this experience in your life and you are doing everything that you can to try to lay it out, to try to control it, to try to make sense of it, and you just can't. And sometimes it is knowing and sometimes it is unknowingly trying to keep in our heads instead of engaging our hearts. And so Jesus does this incredibly gracious thing. He asks a question that engages their heart. And he simply asks, what are you talking about? And at that point, they stop talking. And it says, they were filled with sadness. They were filled and overcome with grief. Suddenly, there were no words. Suddenly, all of the reasoning and the arguments and the logic and, and going through the play-by-play, -play, suddenly, that just gave away to a burst of emotion. And then their sadness gives way to, to anger or at least annoyance. Their response to Jesus' question was simply, are you kidding me? Are, are, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? Are you the only one that is clueless? Jesus presses in with a second question. What things? What things are going on? And then they try to describe it, and they put into words what they've experienced. And when they run out of words, by God's grace, they remain open to his words. And then they invite him to dinner to keep the conversation going. So that is this story from their perspective. This seven-mile journey of encountering Jesus includes discussion and argument and silence and sadness and snarkiness and humility and openness and hunger to know more and open eyes and burning hearts. And I like that so much I'm going to read it again because I think this is important for us as we are on the road as we are on the journey, as we are on the path, 
with Jesus to see how they encountered him was with the whole range of emotions and the whole range of the human experience. With conversation, and with arguments, with silence and sadness, with annoyance and humility, and openness and hunger to know more and open eyes and burning hearts. Do you see the process? Do you see the movement in them even over these few verses? I really need some visible feedback. Do you see it? Do you see it today? Okay, good, good. So how does Jesus encounter them? Let's switch the camera lens. Let's look at this story through Jesus' eyes. Jesus comes alongside them on this walk. He seeks them out. He interrupts their discussion. He eavesdrops. (laughs) He enters their space. Here's what he encountered in these two, that they were in this kind of infinity loop. They were stuck. Sometimes we can get in an infinity loop in regards to our sin. Paul even describes this in in Romans chapter 7, where he says the things that I want to do are the things I don't do, and the things I don't do are the things I want to do, that there are sins of commission, there are sins of omission. And then he says, who will rescue me from this cycle, this infinity loop of my own brokenness and sin? Then he says, thanks be to God, who through Christ has rescued me, right? So we can get in this loop in this cycle of our own sin, but we can also get stuck in an infinity loop that is attached to our own circumstances. Trying to make sense of them. And so Jesus interrupts that cycle with a question. What are you discussing? And their response was, are you serious? You don't know? And then Jesus holds that space. He absorbs their rebuke, their brashness, even their insult. He invites them into the process of encountering him as they encounter their own grief and disappointment and unmet expectations. He doesn't jump in to quickly fix. In fact, he doesn't jump in to quickly even reveal who he is. He doesn't go... Ta-da, from behind a bush, or here's Jesus. You know, he, he, in fact, he prevents them from recognizing who he is. He doesn't rush to resolve their dilemma or to fix their perplexity. He holds the space. But then he expands the space. He asks A follow-up question, what things? 
he invites them further into the process of exploring their own beliefs and confusion, invites them to tell the story, to try to put the pieces together, to try to articulate out loud what they had observed about Jesus, what he had done and taught, and what their expectations about his kingdom was going to be. He invited them to replay and ponder out loud what they had heard from the women about an empty tomb and the angels about a missing body and to try to put some words around what it was like to see Jesus hanging from the cross. And they start talking about Jesus, what he did and who he was and about the arrest and the trial and the cross and the empty tomb. And as they process out loud, they have their first aha moment. In the, in the process of telling the story, they diagnose what they're really feeling. They pinpoint their disillusionment. So Jesus holds this space for them to to try to articulate what is going on and, and even to be kind of rude to him. And he doesn't jump in to fix it, but then he expands it with a second question to dig underneath, to invite them to out loud try to figure out what is really underneath this disillusionment. In this aha moment, they pinpoint that disillusionment. And that's a cliffhanger for next week. But I want you to see that Jesus holds a space, but he expands the space, and then he transforms the space. He confronts their spiritual blindness, their thick-headedness to put the pieces of the story together. He confronts them. He pulls from the expanse of Scripture to connect the dots. He gives them the freedom to keep going with him or to allow him to keep going without them. He breaks bread with them. He reveals himself to them. He supernaturally vanishes just as an exclamation point. He, all along the way, he is fanning the flame of faith and passion and love and transformation. So he comes alongside and he holds space and he expands the space and he transforms the space through questions and through confrontation and through clarification, but mostly with withness. Okay? So I want us to look at four gifts before we wrap this up. And first of all is simply the gift of withness. In quiet times and places and in the quiet space, we listen for both our own yearning and for the presence of the Father, Son, and Spirit. To paraphrase Parker Palmer, often our souls are like wild animals and need to feel safe in order to show up. Jesus holds space in that he doesn't jump in to fix or to solve he knows exactly what we need. He knows. He wired us. He knows our chemistry. He knows that these guys need to work through their confusion or at least try to out loud. But then he also pinpoints what is underneath the sadness. 
Let me ask you this question, and it's not rhetorical. You don't have to answer this out loud, but as we find ourselves on this road and as we think about our own circumstances and our own situations and experiences, I'm taking a guess here that most of us have been through a, a time that is painful, right? Let me ask, what, what do you need most in that time? In a time of disillusionment, a, a time of frustration, a, a time where whew, you just, you, you can't catch your breath? What do you need most in that time? you think about it just for a second. I won't answer for you. I'll I'll answer for me. I really don't want somebody to jump in and fix it right away. really want somebody just to be with, right? We, we had some friends that um, went through this incredibly traumatic experience where they, their two-year-old drowned in an accident. And uh, just uh, grief beyond grief. And some really well-meaning folks in their church tried to come around them with, you know, food and, but also with words. But the words kind of fell short. And it was a lot of phrases like, uh, well, God has a plan. Or um, uh, I went through exactly the same thing. I know exactly what you're feeling. Okay, I didn't go through the exact same thing, but I can, I can totally imagine what you're going through. And our friends were like, no, you can't. No, you can't. And even words that were spoken into them that were true words missed. Because in that space, it just needed to be held. There just needed to be presence. Withness. Most people really do want to be helpful. (laughs) But the art of withness that we experience from Jesus really needs to be extended into the way that we are with each other. To be able to just sit in the muck for a bit. Bonhoeffer says it's, God's love to us that he not only gives us his word, but he also lends us his ear. Listening can be a greater service than speaking. So holding space is really important. And and not just to jump in with a bunch of quick advice or, you know, a a bunch of, of resolve. However, holding space, there's a shelf life to it. We also need words. We need words. I was at, uh, at a conference about a year ago, and there was this practice of holding space together. And so we took turns sharing um, 
some really uh, kind of gut-level stories from our own lives. And there were four of us in a group, and each of us took turns for 45 minutes just sharing. And the practice, the exercise, was to hold that space and not to speak and not to fix. But then we went to dinner. And I just felt uh, there was so much more that needed to happen. This sister in Christ just shared some incredibly traumatic experience that had just taken place the week before and I felt this compulsion I think it's a spirit-led compulsion to pray (sighs) to sit with but to have a conversation you know so it's not just silence And what we see from Jesus is that he held space, but then he expanded the space with questions. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus asked some 300 questions. And a lot of times people would ask him a question, and he said, well, let me ask you a question, which was brilliant. But his questions had this way of looking under the hood, of looking under the surface, of, of penetrating the heart. So he asked questions like, what are you looking for? Why are you looking for me? What do you want me to do for you? Who do people say that I am? What about you? Who do you say that I am? Do you love me? Do you want to get well? Jesus' questions, one writer says, are more like invitations to attend a banquet where every serving unlocks some new flavor of truth and where nobody is in a hurry to leave. So we see Jesus, we see him waiting patiently, giving some, some time to work through the layers of emotions and trying to wrap head and heart around what is going on and then asking another question that looks underneath. That invites this aha. So as we are together, to have questions to go along with the withness. Where are you in this? What things are stirring in your mind, but what things are stirring in your heart? What questions is this bringing up? What, what needs clarity in this confusion? What is underneath that visceral emotion? Where, where do you see God moving in this? Who is Jesus for you right now in this? The gift of question isn't just to ask a question. It's not just to keep a conversation going. It is to invite someone to the presence and the power of Jesus. Which leads to the third gift the gift of witness and the gift of question, but then the gift of listening. Being, being present to your friend and being present to, to Jesus at the same time, but also being aware of what's going on in your own heart and in your own mind. Uh, so here, here's a 
bit what that looks like. It's like you're having, James and I are having a conversation. And and so I want to listen to James really well. And I'm also praying at the same time. I want to listen to the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit speaking into this? And and the Holy Spirit, um, you know, sometimes just bring some some uh, some picture or some word, but often the Holy Spirit brings a particular passage of Scripture that just like, oh, that is so fitting to what James is going through. So I'm listening to James, and I'm listening to the Holy Spirit, and I'm listening to the Word. I'm also listening to what's going on inside. Because as James is talking, it's triggering something in me about my own story, you know? And I, I don't want to just interrupt him and say, I know you're talking, but I really need to just lay this out right now. It's like, no, this is a holding space for him, right? But I need to pay attention for what, to what's going on inside of me so I can take that to Jesus later. Does that make sense? So I'm, I'm listening to James, I'm listening to the Holy Spirit, I'm listening to what's going on inside of me. And sometimes it's triggering something that's really difficult, like what James is going through. Oh man, I not only relate, but that's undone. That's a wound that is still raw in me. That's real. And sometimes what James is saying is, is something that the Lord really has brought me through. And so then I need to pray for discernment about, is this something that I need to share with James right now or later? Does, do I, right now, do I just need to kind of hold that space? Or would this be a, a word of encouragement if I said, oh, the hope of Jesus is real because uh, I I hear you, and I just want to hold this out, just affirm that this is a process, but God is doing something really big here. We mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice, but we also practice this discernment, realizing that there is nuance and there are layers to these conversations. So it's not cookie cutter. It's not just this this, uh, three, you know, Three-part listening exercise. Jesus takes so much care and so much compassion, and he brings so much grace, but he also brings truth. So there are times when we just need to shut up, and there are times when we need to confront and say, oh, I love you, but that is so off. And there are times that we need to ask a question that helps bring clarity. We need to listen to our friends and to the Lord and to what's going on. Does that make sense? Again, this would be, this means no, you are just losing me in the dust. Okay, okay, cool. Last one. We want to practice prayerful listening, and and really that is, um, uh, before we get to the last one, that's the the whole idea of intercession, intercessory prayer, and that's the role of the word, that we're responding um, 
not as a, a prescription for what they're going through. It's not take two verses and call me in the morning type of thing, right? It is allowing the living word of God to be spoken over and to be spoken under and in tandem with the presence of Jesus, the word in that moment. Okay, so, so listening, the, the gift of presence and witness, the gift of questions, the gift of listening, and all of this leads to the gift of presence. When we are in the midst of something that feels like a crisis of faith or just feels this place of anxiety or stress or we are stuck in that infinity loop where it just keeps going and, and, and there's no seemingly way out of it, that's a lonely place to be. Right? It's a lonely place to be. So as the body of Christ... We need to be present to each other. Just listening to them, just holding space, isn't all there is. Just empathy, acknowledging, well, that must be difficult, isn't all there is. Just scripture as a prescription to fix what ails you, isn't all there is. But Jesus utilizes all of that as he cares for and as he moves along in process, these two on the road. It's not correct. It's not controlling. It's not not correcting. It's not apathy. It's not you do you. It is spiritual friendship pointing each other to the transforming power in the presence of Jesus. Julian of Norwich wrote, I look at God. I look at you. I keep looking at God. We're going to take communion together, and as we do that, I just invite you to actually process through this passage this morning, to find yourself on this road, to picture Jesus encountering you. What is the place of grief? What is the place of disillusionment in you today? What's the space that, that Jesus is holding here? What questions might he be asking to probe what is underneath? As we encounter Jesus, what truths from Scripture, what is he speaking into your situation today?